This week on The Futurists, Hannes Schoblad. I think we're approaching something which is a greater integration between our thought processes and the world around us. What we need to do is we need to break down the sort of hurdle of communication, integrating computing into our senses in a much, much closer way. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm your host, Brett King. Uh, Today, we are going all the way to Stockholm, and we're going to talk about biohacking and how AI affects longevity and, um, you know, lots of interesting things with our guest, who is Hannes Schoblad. Hannes, welcome to The Futurists. Amazing to to be able to join you. I'm a great fan of the podcast, so absolutely. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, Long time listener, first time guest, right? Indeed. So, <laughs> <is> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we met recently in Dubai. We had this amazing futurist dinner that Ken Rutowski put on. You know, Publis mm. uh, Holman was there. Um, also David Shingy um, and yourself and myself. We were, we were hanging out and talking. And, you know, I thought this is a great opportunity to, to get you on the show and, and, and talk about uh, some of the work that you're doing, of course, you, you've worked with uh, Singularity uh, University. You uh, you're on the faculty for uh, SU uh, Nordics region, um, but you know you're involved in a lot of really interesting stuff. You market yourself as a biohacker, mm. um, or you position yourself as a biohacker. So, for people who aren't familiar, what would you, how would you describe what a biohacker is? Right. So in the broadest sense, a biohacker is someone, I mean, let's take the word hacker, right? So a hacker, people will have this image of it's a person who breaks into computer systems to steal data or or something similar. But essentially, the meaning of hacking is just to experiment with something. We have a, a tool or something which is designed for a certain purpose. What happens if we apply it for a completely different purpose? That is essentially a hack. Now, what differs us biohackers from old school hackers, those that work with computer hardware and software, is that we work with wetware. So biohackers work with modifying biological systems. That can be anything from genetically engineering bacteria in your student dorm to um, putting uh, chip implants under your skin or putting a lot of sensors on your body to measure sort of all kinds of variables in your system and testing stuff. Oh, how can I modify my sleep cycle uh, by taking a certain supplement at a certain time day? And then you measure it according to the, the good old methodology from the quantified self movement, namely that uh, I am enough of a study person, a study where n equals one. So I experiment on myself. So those are some of the things we do here in the biohacker community uh, here in Sweden, of which I've been a, an early member and uh, a driving force for the last decade. I mean, Sweden is quite an innovative country, you know, generally punching well above uh, your weight, you know, um, with uh, many really interesting innovations coming out of there, um, you know, over the, over the last couple of decades. But um, tell me about the futurist community there and how you yourself became a futurist. Sure. I think... Sweden is uh, an interesting country to look at as a futurist because Sweden is a very, compared to many other, especially European countries or cultures, it's a more forward-looking culture in many essences than traditional. 
if you take Italy or France, these countries that have a lot of monuments, very deep and rich history that they're very proud of, uh, and they come back to rituals and deep traditions in how the country is run and how people think of themselves. Sweden uh, was a pretty poor country a hundred years ago. We didn't have much of an urban culture. Uh, it was a country of farmers, of moderate wealth. And um, whatever is Swedish is something that we built over the last few generations uh, to a very significant extent. And in modern Sweden, there is also a, you know, a, a certain disdain for tradition. I think that's not just here, but I think the trend is perhaps stronger here than in a lot of other places. And that means that Swedes may come across as, you know, interested in new trends, quick to pick up new things, uh, not that interested in tradition, culture, and these things. Now, of course, I simplify and generalize, but I think there's something in the mentality over here that makes Sweden a, a more forward-looking society than many other, at least here in Europe. Now, yes, if we look at, at Asia, or, or the US with younger nations that are more forward-looking, I think you will see the same. But for, for a European context, that would be uh, my observation. Yeah, that's um, an interesting observation. Um, I know you you are the chief disruption officer at, at Epicenter, which is, um, you know, uh, well, it, it it's a, a innovation community, right? Um, yeah, I, right. I guess incubator plus workshops and and so forth. Um, exactly. So tell me about tell me about the community you know that mm. you're involved in 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 terms of how you guys exchange ideas on that. How how is uh, mm. you know uh, what's it like being in 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 Stockholm in the field you're in? Do you feel you've got plenty of support because you know it's a fairly small country comparative to say you know the US, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's not even comparable at scale. Sweden has 10 million inhabitants, we're of roughly 2 million in the Stockholm area. Uh, and yes, so it's a small, close-knit community where pretty much most people know each other or everyone is one introduction away. But I think the Stockholm tech scene is a very interesting place to be. There's quite a lot of capital. There's a lot of hardworking, innovative people. So I find great inspiration in... Um, in the tech ecosystem where I spend most of my time. So Epicenter, yes, is an innovation hub which has houses in Stockholm, Oslo, and Helsinki across the Nordics, all on uh, 60 degrees north, uh, Oslo, Stockholm, and Helsinki. And we um, we run a lot of activities and events. It's a, it's a You can roughly compare it to a WeWork, but which is focused specifically on building digital innovation and scaling uh, innovative businesses. So... Um, and it's been quite successful. A lot of the cool sort of tech companies that have started and grown in Sweden have at one time or later been part of the epicenter community. Mm. So, but what I do enjoy, uh, Brett, is of course, as a biohacker, is that in any ecosystem, there are the big trees, right? The big tech giants where, you know, people can make a lot of money. And then right. you have the 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 small growing saplings which are the new startups and the, the up and rising but what i'm interested in is what is in the undergrowth what is under the leaves sometimes you kick away some leaves there's some creepy crawly things but there's also <laughs> where some really interesting things happen and that's also why i enjoy hanging out at maker spaces and uh, more sort of 
subculture events among the effective altruists and the transhumanists and the futurists and the biohackers and all these, which are also part of the tech ecosystem, but which are, you know, not, not formalized in the same way. So that's where a lot of interesting things come up. Yeah. Now I did um, note that um, you also were a co-founder of a, um, an interesting company, Bionifican. I don't know how to uh, pronounce that correctly. Well, it's uh, Bionifican means Biocurious. Essentially, we borrowed the awesome name of the Californian biohackers community and translated it to good old Swedish. And you guys guys used to hold parties to do RFID chip implants and stuff, right? Yeah, that was uh, one of the many activities we did, but one which happened to catch the attention of a lot of People with cameras. I mean, it just was something about getting a chip implant and posting it on social media. It just worked really well. So, but we did a lot of other things. I mean, focusing on health, uh, understanding digital biology in terms of uh, messing with uh, bacteria, for example. Uh, we did a lot of workshops. We did uh, another great workshop where we did smart tattoos on ourselves uh, wow. by uh, electric, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah putting uh, conductive ink on our bodies, uh, so making blinking lights, turning ourselves into Christmas trees. So, you know, for me, that the experimental part is a core component of my whole interest in futurism. So, yes, I love to read books about the classic sci-fi, the what, what are the latest futurist writers like yourself and many great others are writing, but I'm also very much a practitioner, Brett, and so I, that's why I enjoy fiddling with devices <laughs> Swallowing the odd pill, <laughs> seeing where that takes me. <laughs> right. So, so um, I mean, you've probably, yeah, you've probably been watching Brian Johnson, you know, this uh, um, um, billionaire guy, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know, if, I don't know if you'd call him a biohacker, although, you know, he's yeah, obviously, totally. yeah. No, I, I do, I, I'm happy to welcome him in the biohacker camp. Uh, Brian Johnson has leveled up a lot of things that we have been already doing for many years in, in the biohacking community. So, but with the wealth and the flair for PR, he certainly made a lot more people aware that in fact, there are a lot of therapies now that you can apply to yourself to potentially extend your lifespan. And Brian, if you trust the data he's putting out there, it's pretty impressive, right? He can show, yeah. he does this aging checks of his system and he says, my my heart is now 20 years younger than my passport age. My blood vessels are as, you know, as when I was 19. These things is pretty awesome. So thank you, honestly, uh, to Mr. Johnson for taking, you know, the cost and this experimentation upon himself so that the rest of us can learn. Yeah. So um, tell me about your regime and and how you learn about the various techniques or decide on what to experiment with as a biohacker. Right. Um, oh, you mean my my general my daily regime, or yeah, or or, or just you know, in terms of you know, in in terms of the things that you decide as a biohacker mm-hmm. to pursue, mm-hmm. you know, how do you right. find out about this stuff? How do you keep yourself informed? What's your what's your process? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, my inspiration comes, of course, from following a lot of people in different spaces uh, on social media. Social media has been fantastic for this subculture. Um, And there are communities, great communities in many places. We have one in Stockholm. There's an awesome community in Paris, for example, that I visited several times. They have a beautiful biohacking space there. Um, 
Um, and in terms of what I do, it's a, a broad portfolio of um, health things. I mean, I, of course, am very interested in longevity myself. Uh, I, I enjoy every day of life and would love to have as many days at my disposal as possible. Um, but I'm also fascinated. And I, what I would say is sort of at the heart of my professional pursuits is uh, the concept of extending human senses through technology. And that is something that I have invested in and, and both time and money in many instances, looking at what can we add to the human body in order to give us a different perception and different understanding of the world around us. This could be, for example, um, uh, wearable devices that um, have haptic input for, you know, to give you a different layer of, of understanding of, of where you are. One wonderful hack we did some years ago was when we blindfolded ourselves and there's an app on a smartphone that you can use as for echolocation. Uh -huh. So we, we walk through epicenter pretending to be dolphins, maneuvering <laughs> through stairwells, uh, etc. Fascin absolutely fascinating, completely different perception of, of the world. So, I mean, for me, tech and futurism is also a lot of fun. It has to be. It's about the practical exploration of the edges of human experience that, you know, it's it's absolutely, it never ceases to fascinate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it, it's an interesting field. Certainly, it's, it's a lot more, I, I think it's becoming a lot more mainstream and acceptable for people to, um, you know, want to measure. Um, you know, the quantified self, as as we call it, understanding more yeah. about your own body and your own health. You know, um, you know, we we've got, of course, people like Dave Asprey, who I think is coming on a yeah. on a future show with with the mm. bulletproof regime and so forth, and and others yeah. sort of looking at these uh, techniques and and so forth um, these days. And um, you know, part of this is that we are getting better sensor technology. We are getting better data that enables mm. us to sort of start thinking about taking a position on on what we can do. You know, um, mm. I myself have been through an interesting journey where I was mm -hmm. diagnosed with type two diabetes. I'm now mm. back to a pre-diabetic stage because of uh, you know change in regime, changing the way I eat. You know, um, some medication and so forth. But I think I'll be able to come off all my medication in the future, but that is well done, a very much data-based approach. You know, you have to really look at the data. You have to, um, you know, um, and you have to sort of do, you have to be doing this sort of every day. So um, when was it you sort of first figured out, um, you know, that you wanted to start hacking your own biology? Oh, I remember the day even. So um, this was, no surprise when I attended Singularity University in 2010. That was a, a, a fantastic wake-up moment for me. So Singularity University, founded in 2009, I think. So I was there in the very early days because I was following Ray Kurzweil's yeah. blog at the time. And they made a post and I said, this is a place I have to go to. So it really transformed my career and uh, my life pursuits going there and understanding the the power of how technology changes not just business but also society and ultimately our own bodies uh, it's it captured me and i have there was no other option mm. really than to pursue these things uh, full time for me so i 
I was at the time working in a finance firm in London and I had been there for some years, but I saw that there was something more interesting that I could do. Uh, and so I changed tracks and now for the last decade, I've been a startup entrepreneur and I founded a handful of tech companies that uh, work uh, among other things with generative AI or with smart wearables. So um, all of the things often sort of a bit out there uh, mm. and people say, uh, you know, we, unfortunately in some cases we've been a bit too early with great ideas, but. Um, it's, it's one of the challenges of being a futurist, you know, I, I started. The timing. Uh, I started moving in 2010 as the fir- world's first mobile challenger bank. And we just couldn't couldn't raise money, you know, in those mm. early days, you know, um, mm. because it was too early. Of course, now we have Revolut and New Bank and all mm. of these mm. these payers. So, but that's the curse mm. of being a futurist, I think. Um, you mentioned think just you you mentioned generative AI. I I do mm. want to um, I do want to get into that um, in terms mm. of um, you know in the pursuit of longevity. Yes. Which is really why, you know, biohacking can also be about personal expression. We've seen recently, for example, some experimentation with different forms of prosthetics that don't fit, mm. you know, a, a sort mm. of a typical view of what a prosthetic should be. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, others doing some experimentation, as you say, for like, you know, creating different senses and things. But mm. the primary driver for biohacking seems to be um, longevity and mm. uh, sort of pursuing yes, that but health. where mm. where do you where do you think artificial intelligence is giving us new tools in in the pursuit of longevity well it's a conversion of a couple of different tech phenomena that are familiar to the listeners obviously so it's the 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 growth in sensors that are now so cheap i like to say that sensors are like sand we can pretty much pour them on anything including ourselves the growth in the number of cheap quality sensors gives us much greater data sets about ourselves. And that in turn allows us to feed the machine learning systems. The greater amount of data gives us greater insights, better patterns. And this is where I think AI uh, will do its main purpose. The personalized uh, personal coach, nutritionist that mm. reads my data and uh, gives me my recommendations about, Hannes, you need to adjust your diet in this direction. I mean, pre-diabetes is an excellent example. A urine sample will tell you there's, you know, there's some trouble down the road unless you take action now. And it's, it's actually perfect illustration. And then with the help of a smart assistant helping you what to shop, what, what to eat, how to exercise, when to exercise, using wearables and, and these tools, we can build very sophisticated platforms already today. And I think that in a few years, these things will be absolutely ubiquitous. We'll all have smart assistants in our phones that are personalized, that access our data and give us uh, life recommendations. And I would want there to be, Brett, a setting where you can make your personal coach friendly or a bit more, you know, uh, stern. <laughs> so, yeah. and then I say, so it's my new year's promise. Okay. I reached like my targets just by 60 or 70%. Then I have to up the coach a notch and uh, we change the tone of the conversation between me and my virtual assistant. Or, you know, if I'm in good shape for, at least for me who live in Sweden at the very Nordic latitude, I've noticed a very interesting pattern, which is a yearly cycle. And I typically bottom out in terms of the worst stress and 
worst health situation in December. And then in August, uh, after you know sunshine and rest, uh, my um, my blood sample data is, is much stronger. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting to sort of think about um, the fact that you know we are building these tools that you know will be able to give us this coaching. I like the fact that you sort of talk about the fact that you, you could dial it up a bit, have it a bit more aggressive. We actually worked on something very similar for financial health. You know, back in back in the early days. You know, whether it's physical health or yeah future health but listen up you know at this stage before we go to the break we we have mm. this feature i'm sure you've heard it on the previous episode mm. which just helps uh, people get to know you a bit better it's called our lightning round and just a few quick questions just keep your answers short and pithy so we can get to know you a bit better all right shoot here we go this is the lightning round what was the first science fiction you remember being exposed to on TV or via literature? Most likely Terminator series. Ah, the D1000, yes. Yeah, um, in the 1980s, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What technology do you think has most changed humanity? Well, humanity collectively is definitely the Green Revolution based on the Haber-Bosch method of producing artificial fertilizers because without that innovation there would be about three four billion humans on this planet not eight yeah and uh you know we we are entering a new era of food uh production and food issues food scarcity and so forth so we need to keep that top of mind um you mentioned ray kurzweil er earlier but um is there uh, any other futurists or entrepreneurs that have particularly influenced you mm -hmm. well one of my greatest inspirations is Raymond McCauley, who is also a uh, faculty member at Singularity University specialized on the digitalization of biology. He's, uh, his insights are profound and always inspirational to take part of. Interesting. But yes, Peter Diamandis is also a great inspiration in how he, he makes storytelling for everyone about how the world is changing. Yeah, you know, he's got a new podcast too, and he just had Ray on the podcast. So, um, yeah, check that out if you you haven't seen uh, Peter's uh, new stuff. And, of course, Abundance 360 and SU, all very mm. cool stuff. What's the what's the best prediction um, that or, or foresight that you've seen a futurist or an um, entrepreneur or sci-fi practitioner demonstrate? Again... I picked up a book in the year 2000 uh, where uh, Richard Dawkins, the biologist, right. wrote about the exponential growth of um, or exponential development of DNA technology. This was so early and it, it was 10 years later when I read it again that I realized what he said at that point. So I think that was amazing. He's not often thought of as a futurist. But that prediction was impressively powerful agree. at that time. I agree, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, that's it's interesting because yeah, he's not. He, he, I wouldn't call Dawkins a classic futurist, but um, mm. yeah, he has shown he, us. He saw these things. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think it's if you were a specialist in these diff different areas, that you are going to see trends and and where that might take you. I mean, that's really at the heart of being a futurist as well. Well, fantastic, Hannes. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Futurists. I'm your host, Brett King. We're going to be right back after this break. 
Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support the Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and Next Gen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm your host, Brett King. We are continuing our interview with Hannes Schurblad. Um, Hannes, um, you know, in the biohacking community, one of the things that keeps coming up uh, in in uh, um, sort of the conversation is the cyborgification element, the transhumanist mm. uh, approach, merging man and machine. And we've mm. done we've done this for many years. You know, we people wear pacemakers. We now have robotic prosthetics. Um, you know, um, you know, this is not not a new development, but. You know, when you look at like the world of cyberpunk and and things like that, you know, um, the potential for this is pretty strong. And of course, one of the recent developments um, that has captured a lot of media attention is the work that Elon Musk and Neuralink have, have done. Mm-hmm. They've got their first uh, human clinical trial of uh, the Neuralink uh, uh, brain computer interface. And most recently, the first patient was reportedly implanted with this and now can control a phone and computer with their their mind um and they're looking at recruiting now patients with uh, quadriplegia or um ALS uh, for for their uh, their technologies but um where where do you sit on you know not specifically i guess in a neuralink if you want to comment on that please do but in in respect to biohacking where we're talking about sort of these implants we're talking about potentially you know um, having a prosthetic uh you know or um, connecting our brains to to ai and so forth in the future do you think that that is a likely outcome or do you think that the biological route is sort of going to be more popular sort of enhancing our biology and and you know working just first on sort of that that immortality or at least longevity element Wow, there's so many good questions in here, Brett. So, but let me try to split that up a little bit. So, uh, I, I one of my big passions and something I've spoken a lot about in a lot of settings is, of course, human augmentation technologies. I like to divide them into three categories. So, we have the pharmacological uh, enhancement category of technologies. We have the cybernetic, electronic-based ones, and then we have the genetic, bio-based ones. So, three broad categories. And uh, pharma, I guess I don't have to explain, um, but the uh, whole space of cybernetic augmentation is absolutely fascinating. It's very, very wide. As you can say, yes, there are people who they need a new leg after a car accident or, you know, now we have some terrible wars with a lot of landmines, people losing limbs. Um, So there is a demand for the basic setup. We've seen some fascinating developments in that space. Now we have osteo integration. You can actually grow these devices, not like something you stick on a stump, like an old shoe, but something you truly integrate with both nerve and bone system of the body. So um, there's some fascinating developments there. The question, of course, is that, yes, to replace a lost limb is sensible to most people, but what about the enhancements? 
Would you like an extra limb? Would you like an extra eye? Would you like a tail? Why not? Right. It's my comment when that comes up. Yeah. I guess or, or you know, like, will will humans that have no disabilities decide mm. in the future to get an amputation so they can get mm. augmentations? Mm. Right. Indeed. And we have um, some interest. I mean, pop culture, or with all the cyberpunk movies and computer games and whatnot, means that the you know the whole there are generations that have grown up with this imagery and the awareness of these technologies and the you know pros and cons and whatnot so principally i think the the demand is there a lot of people would be interested in eyes with a different level of eyesight or or different functions in the body so then it's up to us entrepreneurs and innovators to actually build these solutions and take them to market and this is why i for a number of years was very fascinated with chip implants, something which I currently am not uh, active in that space anymore, but which is a chip implant is like the tiniest prosthetic you can get yourself. Right. It's principle safe. We know we put it in billions of animals, but it can give the body a few new functions. And that was the whole idea behind the drive we did. We wanted to give humankind a new organ, which was the first digital organ in our bodies, something that would sit under your skin and transmit smart digital information to your phone about the state uh, of the, the meat bag and what happens under the skin. And that, I think, is still a very valid value proposition. And in terms of risk and harm, chip implants are pretty much harmless and they add some interesting value. So I, I do have a few implants myself. For example, I have one here below my collarbone that um, reads my body temperature if I swipe it with my phone. So I think that's that's pretty neat. Now, now I'm a man. Biologically, had I been a woman, it would have been more useful. I could have used that implant to track my monthly cycle. And so that was one of the cases we developed was that you could use these implants for as a reproductive health technology, especially for people who may not afford a, an Apple Watch or you know some more expensive rig. You would just have this tiny implant that costs a few dollars under your skin and you'd be able to have a very good uh, reading of your uh, body temperature changes over time. So uh, I think there is great potential. Yes, I may be biased in this particular field, I'm happy to admit, but um, I can't wait for more uh, you know, mainstream prosthetics to be available to people. So let, let's talk about the future um, and mm. you know, take us out 20 or 30 years what do you think will be possible as a biohacker in in that time frame? Mm. And, and what and, and do you see the species diverging into, you know, um, like uh, enhanced or augmented humans? Um, you know, uh, you know what what do you see as is the potential um, over the the next twenty to thirty years for this field? Yeah. So if we start in, in even in the more near term. I, yes, I think the fact that we can have a virtual assistant monitoring our health, that's not that's that is not 20 years away. That's less than that will happen in this decade. Uh, now here's one of my favorite terms is that sometimes people are worried, okay, do I want something that monitors my system at all times? Is this not a big brother society type idea? Uh, but I, my favorite counter uh, argument to this is, no, I prefer to call it the big sister society. Thinking of I the like big that. sister as not the, the bully, uh, exploitative big brother that oppresses people, but the big sister that cares about you 
that nurses, you know, you, uh, you know, yeah, like we call a nurse or a non-assister, sure, sure. someone who cares about you and wants your best, right? And who helps you get there. So that kind of a, a monitoring system. Uh, then I sometimes get to her, okay, Hannes, uh, I can tell that you haven't had any sisters when you grow up. That's a correct funny. observation, but I still like the idea. Um, so, but looking a few years further ahead, Brett, what I envision is that we are approaching a, a much more, and the Neuralink, even though it's very, very early type product, it's still a, an interesting concept. Now, it should also be mentioned in terms of Neuralink that this research with brain implants, it's been going on at a lot of universities of course, around the world yeah, for yeah. the last 30, 40 yeah, yeah. years. So essentially, there's nothing really new. It's just the PR <laughs> that is new uh, around Neuralink and the branding, I guess. But um, I think we're approaching something which is a greater integration between our thought processes and the world around us, which is right now still ha has to be conveyed through these ape hands that we do i mean we have to type on keyboards in order to convey our thoughts from our brain to to the connected uh, web around us and what we need to do is we need to break down the sort of hurdle of communication integrating computing into our senses in a much much closer way yes uh, using for example the optic nerve which is probably the best conveyor of information into the human brain uh, but also uh, being able for us to send information at a much, much greater bandwidth out from our thought processes. So where I think we're going is that we're slowly building this global hive mind where we integrate all the humans. So if you look at the data right now, we are about two-thirds of humankind are inter regular internet users. There's still a couple of billion people that may use the internet occasionally or still don't have access at all but that is something which we will catch up with in the coming decades and the old rule if you recall of six degrees of separation that uh, the average distance from uh, two people on this planet was six introductions that number right. has gone down to about three right thanks to smartphones and social media i expect that number to go down to to one in the coming mm. uh, 20 years so I, essentially, if everyone has we a are all in one. pockets, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, there's still one step behind. You still need to add someone on LinkedIn in order to send them a message. But right. the, and the interesting here is, as Peter Thiel says, the hard step is from zero to one. And from my perspective, in terms of the integration of all of us into the high mind, is the step from one to zero, which is when we there's not one step of introduction between each human, but when it's actually zero. So there's like Yes, you can access other people's thought streams in real time. Now, that's a, a, a bit into the future, but for me, the trend, that, that is where we're going. Now, mm. of course, it will be voluntary. Not everyone will want to, to broadcast their thoughts online, but what social media also tells us is quite a few people are willing to share surprisingly personal things in right uh, you know, we're comments. we're sharing what we're eating what we when we're yeah. exercising yeah you know so yeah we're seems... an exhibitionistic species <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um and you know how do you think you know because longevity is a big area of mm. of concern for you and obviously more mm. of a daily mm. pursuit but um you know how do you think living longer is going to change society have you thought about that as a biohacker how longevity might change the the way we prioritize and the way we 
um, learn and the way we live, you know, our pursuits? Yeah, this is something we discuss all the time. And uh, on a personal level, I think I see a lot of benefits in terms of less stress, career stress, family stress, uh, uh, a soft understanding that there is time, right? There is time to do the things on your bucket list. You don't need to do all these things before the age of 30 uh, or 40 or 50. There is actually more time than you expect for most of us. And for me, on a personal level, I think that is a very sound thing to to incorporate into into your thought process and, and your life planning. Then we have the societal aspects of it. Um, yes, I mean, those are also well known to, to the listeners here in terms of what will the pension system look like? What will the healthcare system look, look like? Now, what we were active as activists in the longevity space, and I'm one of the founders of the Swedish longevity cluster, which is a very active community. We have weekly meetups, activities. We have a pitch night next week where we bring in a bunch of startups and scale-ups who are all working with longevity solutions and match them with investors. It's, of course, that people will live longer, but in that equation, we also expect that they will not necessarily be like today's 80-year-olds, high consumers of, of healthcare services. So we expect to be healthy and not in a need of uh, massive right. I think that's an important thing because people, you know, they think about living longer and they think about you getting older and older still, but we're mm. talking about fundamentally slowing the aging process and giving you better, um, what do they call it? Um, yeah, healthspan, not lifespan. Right, healthspan, yeah, healthspan, mm. not, yeah, exactly. Mm. So, um, you know, better better health over, over a longer period. Um, but, you know, I mean, culturally, you know, as you say, you don't, if you don't have to worry about, um, you know, getting older, you know, if you don't have to worry about finances as well, you know, like in a, mm. a UBI scenario or something like that, mm. you know, you, you are obviously able to pursue very different um, fields of interest and, and so forth. So we, we've got, but I think when you combine longevity and you combine um, the wealth that AI is going to create and leading to universal basic income and its disruption of work. I think one of the really interesting things is how, you know, how do you decide on what you do with your life? You know, like mm-hmm. you could, you could be, you could stay in education for the first 40 years of your life before you decide to start working in a career. Mm-hmm. You know, you could um, d- decide to commit your life to community service, um, you know, mm-hmm. for the rest of rest of your, your life and things. So you, I think I see UBI as, you know, or mm-hmm. the sort of the collapse of the work to live um, system that we have today, which is, I think, inevitable with mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. creating sort of a really different way of thinking about living. Maybe that's more authentic human experiences, because if you think about humanity in the distant past you know i mean we we just lived you know we went and got enough food for the day sometimes it'd be food for uh for a couple of weeks and um and we just lived our life and it was storytelling and um you know um you know moving from one place to another and the the migratory activities and things but it, it you know um living in cities and working nine to five is is not a is not the natural state of humans historically, you know? So, I'm always careful when I use the word normal 
right? Yes, okay. And natural, those are sensitive. Right, I mean, right. I, I think it's sometimes we think that going back to farming before we had fertilizers and pesticides is natural. I My perspective as a technologist is that technology is natural. Mm. Smartphone is, is something of nature. Uh, right. Synthetic materials, yes, some things may be harmful to biological systems, but still... Uh, what is the bird nest? Is it natural technology? What is, so that is, uh, I think, often a question that people struggle to answer because it's both. Um, and I do wanted to comment on your thought about, side comment about education as well. I think education is something that we'll all be doing in and out throughout our lifetimes to a much greater extent rather than this is something we do in just first few years. I want universities to be like memberships. So you should ah. be a member of, of the um, Royal Institute of Technology for life. And you go back there every every few years. You go to an alumni event, you take a week, you take some online class, and it's like a subscription mm. with someone you know and trust. And I think that, for me, is the model about adult education, is that you you should always be able to go back and replenish your insights at the uh, at, uh, your alma mater or a, a source that you like. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, that sort of lifelong learning um, approach, I think is, is if it's available to you, you know, why wouldn't you uh, pursue it? So, all right, let's, so, so let's, let's talk, you know, 2040, 2050, assuming mm. that your longevity treatments work and you're still mm. around then, um, mm-hmm. you know, Taylor, Taylor, oh, Swift, totally so. Taylor Swift is going to be, um, in her sixties in 2050, right? So just putting it in context, yeah. but so you're, yeah, you're going Biden to will still be president. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, Putin. yeah, Putin. Yes. Um, you know, t- tell me about how you think mm. society may have changed around mm. the view of our health and, mm. You know, whether that, you know, because right now that it's not a universal right. So when you talk about mm. longevity and you talk mm. about these sorts of things, mm. is that just going to be a basic function of society? Do you still see it as being sort of commercially driven like we have in, mm. in the US and only the rich mm. are getting the longevity treatments? What What do you mm. think? I think that the biggest change that longevity will bring about is to reduce the short-termism. Uh, of current society the sort of the quarter capitalism or the um, you know, the short-sightedness of, of yeah. exploitation that we often see which is one of the backsides of the um, of the market system right so go there quick profits get your bonus cash out uh, move on right and if if we all live longer, we'll have different and more mature perspectives on, on these things, and there will be fewer stresses in that regard. So for me, longevity is the factor which will help us achieve also societal sustainability, which we're currently struggling with in terms of overuse of natural resources, for example. So uh, in that sense, I think it's an essential sort of human cultural factor into bringing about that sort of transformation yeah um what do i envision life to be at that stage i think uh, these if if it's a treatment probably it's a combination of pharma maybe some epigenetic 
changes we'll have to make in our bodies. Mm. Uh, I I would expect them to be available to all people on this planet, mm. uh, or at least the, all of those that can be reached uh, and who are willing to take it. Because yes, we also know that there are communities who may select not to be part of that, as we've seen, or, or also in current society. Yes. But um, yes, in the US, it may be largely market driven. This is always the case with new things. They begin as expensive and not working so well. The Brian Johnson says they they spend the upfront yeah, investment. Like a couple of million bucks a year, right? Two and a half million a year or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Plus, That's plus. not for everyone. But no. these insights are now shareable. The scientists are documenting the therapies and will, I think, definitely by 2050, these will be universally available and they should be. That's part of our... Yeah responsibility to make life Absolutely. better for all living and thinking beings on this planet and other planets which we will hopefully also be squatting on uh, now we're talking we didn't even talk about bio augmentation so that we can live in the, the rest of the solar system or travel in the space which we'll have to yeah. leave that for the next time but uh, I, i'll give you a one-liner on this sure. simply that I'm, I'm not a good big friend of uh, terraforming i think it's the the wrong way around we'd rather change ourselves so that we can live on these places as they are rather mm. than trying to change entire planetary systems to look like earth yeah there was a good sci-fi movie on titan um mm. do you remember that movie that no that not had sure. that thing re- no no it was mm. um let me uh, um uh sci-fi movie uh. um yeah, because um, terraforming it, it, Mars would take a million years or a few hundred thousand years. Changing yeah. humans or biological beings can take a yeah. hundred years. Mm. Exactly. So it's called The Titan, and yeah. uh, it's uh, stars uh, um, Sam Worthington, who of course is right. uh, is um, you know known for his role in Avatar, where he mm. is biologically modified so that he um, and his astronaut partner can mm. go to uh, Titan, but in doing so becomes a Titan instead of you know a human you know because he's yep. there's such a divergence so check that out if you're interested in, in the concept that hannes is talking about um hannes it's been great to have you on the show today tell me how do, how can people That's keep different. in touch with you how can they follow mm. you um mm. you know in terms of the community you're involved in and uh, mm. just um keeping up with your uh, your your work well, I, I mean, quite easy to find on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and other social platforms. So sometimes under the moniker uh, Nordic Futurism, which is a more of an aesthetic uh, angle mm. uh, on futurism that we like to take and incorporate certain Nordic style elements, but also societal for a separate conversation. Um, and you also that's, that's use you, you also use the moniker Hannah Sapiens. True, bit, because right, so. I, as a label of the state I'm currently in. So right now I'm still a homo sapiens. Uh, at one day I hope to be able to change that label and uh, add uh, another better one. Homo deus or? Yeah, yes. or homo se evolutis, the self-evolving yes. human. That's, I ah, think, the state we should be cool. working on. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, uh, Hannes Soblad, uh, thanks for joining us on The Futurist today, and we wish you all the best. Um, and... Uh, as as you know how we finish off the show 
uh, for our listeners, um, please, uh, if you like the show, tweet it out. Um, let us let us know in the comments. You know um, how you, what you thought, what you'd like to hear from next, who, who you'd like to hear from next. Um, you know, give us a shout out on social media. Give us a five star rating. All of that sort of stuff helps. But in the meantime, we'll be back next week with more from the futurists. Until then, we'll see you in the future. Well, that's it for the futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.